Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hatch Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, corporeal and non-corporeal spooky season listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. We're really good friends. And you can find Ben's work all over the internet. Ben, tell them. Give them the scoop. Where can they find your work? <laughs> uh, you can find my work at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, at uh, Haggerty, and at Inside Hook. And also, I think right now uh, on newsstands, if you pick up the current November issue of Car and Driver, I've got a piece in there. Woohoo! That was too many things. That is truly everywhere, all over the, all over the internet and in print. Um, you can find my work at a variety of places as well. You can find me at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine, TechSpot. Um, I think I'm in automotive news now, and uh, I was also in Car and Driver's October issue, so if you, you're caught between October and November, you're going to have to pick which, <laughs> if, which one of your podcasts. If you're in a dentist's waiting room, chances are there's still the October issue of there Car and So like that's your that's your best shot if it's not on newsstands. It's always a medical waiting room of some kind. Also, I want to point out that Sammy's agent just gets him work and Sammy just does the work and he doesn't always know where it ends up. So that's why he's not sure whether he's in automotive news or not. Yeah, we, we don't know really. Um, ben, cars. What do you think? Is it, is it time to talk about some cars? Have I've been, been driving, driving some cars. I mean... Really? Yeah. Uh, I... Specifically, I drove a car recently that is, a, I mean, more than a bit of an outlier. And that's because it's kind of an old-fashioned vehicle whose future is is limited and whose past is glorious and whose present is out of step with its um, compatriots, I guess you could say. Okay. So, again, this is not the Charger that you were driving or the Challenger that you were driving no, last week. No, although that, that could probably <laughs> apply to that vehicle as well. Exactly. <laughs> what are you talking about? What is this? I, I would hesitate to call it the British Challenger, but it is the, the Jaguar F-Pace SVR. Which is an SUV, right? Yes. So okay. the F-Pace appeared, what, 2017, I want to say? And it was Jaguar's first SUV. Um, and then very quickly... They came out with the SVR version, and this was around the same time that Land Rover, which is, you know, part and parcel of the Jaguar thing, they yeah. were making their own SVR vehicles. There was a Range Rover Sport SVR that came out, and the F-Pace is basically the same idea. Uh, whenever whenever Jaguar or Land Rover want to make something fast, they take their 5-liter V8, they supercharge it, and then they put it in something. And that's, that's right. it's like exactly like Chrysler with the Hellcat or with the uh, the 6.4 liter Scat Pack motor, they 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 have this big V8. They want to make something faster. It's a package deal. So, what makes the SVR interesting though is you know you can buy a Challenger. Wait, hold a... on. Do you do you think that just putting a V8 a supercharged V8 in a in an SUV is not interesting enough? No, because I, I, well, I, I I'll explain why. So okay. with the Challenger, what makes, what makes it interesting? With the Challenger, you can currently go buy a Mustang with a V8 or a Camaro with a V8, right? Like they're, yeah. they're, they're out there. If you want to buy a luxury SUV that's fast, you're not going to find a V8 unless you're in a Jaguar showroom. So every yeah. single competitor, X3M, the the Audi uh, RSQ, I think that's what it is, uh, RSQ5, uh, the, 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 the Macan, these are all turbocharged vehicles. So in terms mm -hmm. of how they drive, it's quite different. They have, they're a lot quieter. 
uh, they, they, do, they do make exhaust exhaust noise, but it's that kind of wumpy, muffled exhaust noise that uh, isn't... You hate the sound. I like the sound. I think it's fine. I don't hate it, but I will say I hate the fact that every one of these vehicles has the same programmed overrun in it so that they all sound yeah. like someone's throwing like a garbage can down a concrete staircase. Oh my god. I live next to a highway and I hear these things. It's out of control now. Like, it's actually out of control. The, uh, the, the popping... So that's the, something we used to love. I, I know. When, well, we, when there was like happened. a brief window where it wasn't ubiquitous. <laughs> yeah. Now, it, like, and not only that, but they're being modified to sound louder. Um, and it really does sound like firecrackers. Um, like when we were kids, just like. Honestly, it it, it, it's not a pleasant sound. It's not even really a sporty sound. It's like no, it's just a sound. <laughs> it and sounds, it's super it's loud. It's to sound broken. Like it's just. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you're like. It, and it sounds far worse outside the vehicle than it does inside the vehicle. Yes, no one knows. No. So anyway. Everyone is just glaring at these drivers. So the SVR is very different. It yes. it, it is like a guttural supercharged V8. It sounds like a larger displacement engine. Um, it has a different personality, I guess is what I'm saying. And the other thing that's interesting about the SVR's motor, so they did an update in 2021, uh, to give it a little bit more power. I think it's something they give it like, it has 516 pound feet of torque and 550 horsepower. And I think those extra 16 pound feet came from the update, but what they did was they moved the torque curve. So it's between 3,500 and 5,000 RPM, right? That's where you're going to get the most torque from the Jaguar. If you look at every one of those competitors, the M's, the AMG's, etc., they all have that turbo torque that's available like at 2000 RPM. Mm -hmm. So there's no real reason to kind of rev out those motors. Like you're not making more power. The power is there throughout almost the entire rev range. So when you're driving the F-Pace, it has this unusual characteristic where if you're ringing out the engine, you're actually benefiting from it. Like it's not just something you're doing because you have your foot pinned to the, th the floor. So in that respect, it is different than its peers. Uh, the other reason though why it's different from its peers is because it's an old school vehicle. I mean, this engine, Sammy, how long has it been around? For a long time, really. Um, and I don't even think they're really using it anymore as well. Right? No, it's like, in the, it's the end in of the... the Sorry, go on. Yes. Oh, it might be in the F. -type. It's in the F type, and it's in yeah. the F pace, and that's it. I, I think... feel like it used to be in the XJ, XF. I think it used sure. to be in. The XJ uh, doesn't and... exist anymore, and, and the XF. The XF no, the XF does exist, but it's two liter turbos now. Yeah, and the XE never had it though. No, the XE never had it. Oh, uh, I've been in. They made that project whatever sports. type seven or whatever it was. Project seven. I think that was the only version that had it, and that was like a. But very... if it was the XF, that means it's. An old, it's a very, it's been around for like 10 years. Oh, this engine dates back, I believe, to 1996. I what? think that it, V8? I think it's linked to the original AJ V8 that came out in the mid 90s that Ford uh, had some um, input on back when it was a four liter motor, I want to say, or a 4.2 liter motor. And uh, it evolved into the five liter one that it is today. So this is an engine that's been around forever. I mean, that's Jaguar's modus operandi, right? Like small company, not a ton of money. Uh, V8 engines are on their way out, so they didn't really put a ton of cash. Like, they didn't do what Mercedes did and come out with this crazy turbocharged V8 that they've also licensed to Aston Martin and other companies. They were like, you know what? We have this motor. It works. We're going to keep refining it and using it. And by refining, I put that in quotations. I mean, they're doing their best. Uh, and it, and it, it's weird to think that the last V8-powered Jaguars are going to be like a Roadster slash Coupe and this SUV thing. <laughs> yeah. 
It's 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 an odd kind of state of affairs. In any case, okay. So what are we talking about? Have you talked? You, it sounds great. You said that. It sounds raw. It, and I mean, if you're talking in comparison to the scat pack that you drove last last week, which is a coupe, which is a muscly, luxurious ride of a of a coupe, this car has that same attitude, but an electric car. Yeah, it has a similar a engine, attitude. Engine, that that engine has the same attitude in electric crossover sort of um i would venture a guess and say that the the espr is a lot faster and it's got all-wheel drive it probably weighs roughly the same as the challenger does but in a straight line i think it's like 3.7 to 60 and i believe that the scat pack is like 4.4 uh and it's it's it makes sense because there's a lot more power in this motor too but it, it doesn't feel ridiculously fast um it feels manageable and in terms of handling, it's pretty decent. I mean, there's obviously a compromise between comfort and road holding, which you're going to see in a heavy vehicle that is intended to corner. Uh, when I was going over bumps, speed bumps, that kind of thing, you do notice it in the SVR, mm-hmm. but it's not enough to like essentially upset you. You know, you're not going to be like, oh man, I, I regret buying this vehicle. Um, it, it, it's a good driver. I, I found it pretty reasonable in traffic. Uh, it didn't feel like it needed to it didn't feel like it was high strung like if i wasn't driving it all out it was kind of a hassle so that was nice but there are a couple of things about it that i didn't like one of those is the um the body the assembly of the vehicle itself didn't feel super refined like on the hood sammy there's these like inlets that are pressed in i guess they're louvers for the hood or whatever for air intakes and from it's the a very dra- dramatic looking vehicle i think everything about it seems pretty cool yeah but what are but you talking about here? i'm talking about build quality yeah so the louvers on the hood you can see really big gaps around certain areas where they've kind of been pushed in and then on the lower fascia on the front someone and i'm assuming this is a dealer tech had used a saw to cut out around where the plug was for the block heater and huh? so they, they just what? cut like a an octangular octangular is that a word an octagon in the grill so you could plug in this thing and i'm like wow that's you could see where they cut it like it wasn't this wasn't a factory thing so little things like that you know the interior was pretty nice it has a much better infotainment system than it used to Uh, it used to be honestly really slow and irritating to use and now it was quick it looked good and i had no complaints about it which is rare for a a jaguar lander vehicle yeah uh the interior looks decent it doesn't look super high-end but it, it does feel it does feel like you're getting your money's worth. This is a $90,000 vehicle, which uh, I believe it's 90000 Let me double check that, which is much more expensive than anything else. Like, I think you're five grand more than a Mercedes, seven grand more than the X3M, and I think another uh, five grand more than like a Stelvio Quadrifoglio. So, right. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so you you are probably getting more features than you would in the X3M, which has a lot of options packages you have to add on. But it's still like Jaguars position themselves at the top of the market. And I think that they're counting on people who want to have the experience that the vehicle offers more so than just like raw statistics. Uh, 550 horsepower is big. It's not mm-hmm. a, the, the 3.7 to 60, I think, is mid-pack for these vehicles. Uh, but overall, as a package, I think it's very decent. That does seem um, – it, it seems like a lot compared to an X3M and X4M, which I think are pretty um, – they're pretty popular. Yeah. Um, and I I personally am not a huge fan. Like I don't have – like I don't get – I don't go, go, go gaga over a 
an X3 or an X4M as I used to over AMG, like 63 AMGs, which I think sound cool. And they look a little bit more sleeperish. Like they, they don't look um, weird. Like I don't know what to, to, they don't look like they're trying to be something aggressive and sporty, um, which I think the X3 and X4 kind of do. So I do like the idea that you've got something that just sounds really angry and mean, can uh, rock it off in a in a straight line pretty nicely, and has a fairly high quality cabin. But the exterior um, quality concerns that you have are are actually that that is fairly concerning um, because you don't get that kind of um, rawness or unrefined element in these other luxury automakers and, and that's what st- helps them stand out right well, one more thing i wanted to point out about the, a differentiating factor between the jaguar and say a bmw or a mercedes it's actually fairly big when it comes to cargo uh it's really it's, yeah. it's bigger than the x3 and the glc in terms of cargo space and that surprised uh, me i didn't i did not think that would be the case because the x3 is is fairly capacious mm-hmm and it doesn't seem like it's bigger than either of those vehicles when you approach it from the outside. I think the GLC got pretty small. Yeah. So it's one. It's on the smaller side now. But the X3 felt like it would be more of a match, and, and they're not. So if that matters to you, I mean, if you're doing this because you, you can't have a sports car, but you want a crazy V8, and you have to take your family places, the F-Pace is a pretty good choice. There's this other weird thing happening. Have you heard about this? Um, RX 500H. Yeah, the weird kind of uh, wait. It's it's like a hybrid version of so so 500 means V8 <laughs> if it's a Lexus IS, but if it's an RX, it means hybrid, right? Hybrid yeah. V6 with a turbo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it I, makes like only it makes under four. It it makes under 400 horsepower. But to me, this is a funny car. To I think people are going to enjoy this because. Um, it's not as hardcore as some of these other um, vehicles. It's not as enthusiast oriented as these no, other not um, at all. vehicles. But I think it'll give them that. It'll give shoppers that feeling of like immediate thrust and uh, and it's kind of like this in between or space wise. Um, I, I feel like it's kind of that vehicle is much more like Lincoln Aviator Turbo kind of deal. Yeah, you know, that's like, a great point. Yeah, or maybe like a Durango with a V8. It's it's the similar. I know those are both three rows, and I don't think this version mm-hmm. of the of the RX is, but they're kind of in that same class of power. I think. I'm eager to drive one of these. I need to get, I need to book one for myself because I don't know. There's something funny to me about a like in quotations performance version of the RX, right? Well, remember when the MDX came out with the sport hybrid, and it was actually yes. re- it was really great to drive. It was probably yeah. the best version. <laughs> Very good. Very fast, uh, very expensive, and not very spacious. No, but the best version of the MDX, I think, to date. I think that's the yeah, one. Yeah, they, like, lost it. Like, like they lost the plot with this thing. I know. Well, we, we just, both of us, I believe, recently drove the Type S. Yeah. And we're not impressed whatsoever. No. So, not unnecessary. Yes. But that's because they did, like you mentioned, they put a ceiling on their performance by calling it a Type S and only giving it, like, 650 horsepower now do you think the type s is a competitor to this 500h no no oh the 500h yeah sorry i thought you were gonna say this svr no no no. type s compared yeah maybe yeah kind of but i think lexus will kill it with it yeah i, I mean sales way more <laughs> not just sales but i think in every other element i think there's this really weird thing to discuss here right like the svr the amgs the m's they make their cars uncomfortable okay like i don't know how to say this yeah they're fast they sound great they're super responsive they're uncomfortable if you live in 
an, an area where there is a road imperfection, you will feel it in that car, and you will feel it in the front and in the rear, and the whole car will be like, bump. Like, you'll, you'll feel it the whole way through. Um, and I think a luxury car buyer might not be feeling that uh, or wanting to feel that and would like something that's as smooth as a Lexus or an Acura, but with the performance, with the speed, with the responsiveness, performance, like, uh, like powertrain-wise... Um, of those other cars. But do you think that you're only getting half the experience in that case? The other experience is not is not desirable. Yeah, and I think it's also <laughs> important to underscore the fact that no one will take advantage of the track-like capability of those SUVs because okay. you never take an well, SUV to the track, right? So it's like and, and you're getting you this... have taken, I've taken an X3 and an X4 on the track. Yeah. I've, I've taken an, uh, a GLC 63 and a GLE 63 and on the track. And it's not fun. They're awful. They're, they're terrifying. But like they do, every... they, they get the lap times, but not in a way that you'd want to, to repeat, like on a regular, it's like... You're sweating. It feels like a horror, it feels like a horror movie. We've like had at the, the <laughs> end of it, you're like, okay, I got through it. Like, you look, at the go, end of your lap, home. you look in the back seat and there's like a severed head staring at you. It's like, <laughs> did you have fun? No, I didn't. It's, but it's we, we've talked about it in the past. It's like, why do you go to the racetrack? I personally go to have fun. If you're going to the racetrack specifically because you want a certain lap time, maybe you can achieve that in your SUV. But you, it, it, it's, it, it's weird. It would be like going to the video game arcade and like putting a huge stack of quarters down and only playing one game to get one certain type of score and a game you don't even really like that much. You know what I mean? <laughs> It's just it's just an odd way of doing the same thing but different. That's a wild analogy. I I think you need to work on that one a little bit. I'm gonna work. Um, I will workshop that analogy. I think you need to work on that one a little bit. Just like I need um, to work on understanding whether the GLC 63 has a V8 or not, or if it even a, exists. Right. <laughs> but we are getting into this whole element where like electrification will will change the the performance characteristic, and I think for luxury cars, electrification will work. People want responsive powertrains um, that go fast, that get them from A to B really quickly, or help them make a pass without with, with so much confidence, right? Like yeah, they I mean, want so much confidence when they make a pass. Because what we've lived, we've lived in this world where we've had different levels of engines, different horses for different courses. The same motor you put in a in a luxury car, and mm -hmm. versus the motor you would put in a sports car. They have mm -hmm. different characteristics, right? But yep. when, you're, when you're talking about EVs, all of a sudden they don't. No. It's the same kind of thing. So we're kind of moving into this new world where power is insanely cheap and every vehicle accelerates instantaneously. And yeah. we, we, we did a whole episode about differentiation a little while back. So we're yep. not going to necessarily talk about that again. But you know, when you look at the, the F-Pace versus these V6 or straight six or whatever turbocharged cars, it has that differentiation in, mm -hmm. in an internal combustion engine that you're not going to see in the EV world. That's right. Yep. Um, do you mind if I take over a little bit and talk about the car that I've recently uh, driven? Do you have anything else you wanted to, no, to I, add I, about the, the F-Pace? I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Are you really excited? Because I have um, the new Kia Sportage or Sportage. Oh, okay. Excitement is starting to plummet. Um, yeah, no, it, it's seeping through, really. Um, we needed to talk about the F-Pace so that we could uh, carry that momentum into the Kia conversation. Now, the model I have is uh, one of three different versions of the Kia Sportage you can get. There is a, um, a gas-powered version, a hybrid version, and a plug-in hybrid version of the Sportage. I had the hybrid, that one that's right in the middle. 
Um, it uses a 1.6 liter turbocharged engine um, with a tiny, I think, 1.5 kilowatt hour battery. And um, altogether, the powertrain has 227 horsepower and 258 pound-feet of torque. It's essentially the same powertrain that's found in the Tucson Hybrid, which I think I've talked about in the past. Um, and I need to say a couple of things about the the Sportage. The Sportage has been around, I think, since the the, the late 90s. It was, it was so different back then, right? It, <laughs> so it was like a body-on-frame carbon copy of, of a generic Japanese SUV, I would say. It was a little small and goofy and dorky. There was and a like, Sportage in the Borejo, right? Like, yeah. yeah. And now it's this ultra-large... Like, honestly, this thing is massive. Like, it's very big. It's super spacious. Um, I picked up my folks from the airport with it. They had two full-sized um pieces of luggage with them as well as like backpacks it swallowed all that stuff with with ease as you'd expect um and the the rear seats my my family was also very complimentary to they said that they were very uh spacious they you made them right in the back they're not allowed to ride up front i don't know what their problem is sometimes they 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 like to you know they demand they that you sit uh you and your wife sit up front and i'm like but you guys it's so they can anyway. talk about you i know um anyways it is a very well-featured, spacious vehicle. It is significantly larger, um, not only than the original Sportage that came out in the 90s, but uh, the last generation model. I think it's like seven or almost eight inches lo longer than the outgoing model. Um, it's refined. Like, it's a complete, it feels like a different product. I'm, I'm going to go on record for saying that the last generation Sportage was was really one of my least favorite um cars in its segment i think it looked like a knockoff um macan wow. in certain angles i don't think it looked great um i also think the cabin was really bland it was all um dark plastics and and just nothing and nothing was great about it you could get a model i think with a with a turbocharged engine which was okay but i would always tell people to opt for the tucson over um a, a kia sportage or get one of the other kia models that they that they had for offer but right now the new sportage is it's grown up like a lot it is it feels more high class it feels like there's a lot of features available for it um and i was really impressed with the with the technology in it there's only one thing that i need to really complain about before i get into the other mild criticisms that i have with it first of all um i think i've talked about this in the ionic and maybe we've talked about it in the ev6 but it has a a contact sensitive display that shows the climate controls. And then you have to press a button for them to, to show other controls. Do you remember this? Did I talk about this before? At the very least, this button is illuminated, right? Unlike the golf R yeah. that we were driving. Yeah, it is illuminated, but it automatically reverts back to that climate control button after um, a period of inactivity. Oh, that's kind of irritating. Yes. I, I, I think that, a feature should stay where it's selected until the driver changes that selection. So what's more interesting is that the car um, has knobs for climate control, but when you press this this little button, this this it's actually a touchscreen, and turn it to the the media controls, we'll say it turns one of the knobs into a volume control. So you have to have you basically have to instruct everybody who's in the car that if they need to turn down the volume, they have to press this button first. And then turn this knob. Yeah, that's not a great feature. I mean, the driver, it doesn't really matter because they've got steering wheel controls. And that's what I opted in to do. But 
at the same time, I was like, this is really unintuitive. I don't think it's it's appropriate to have this this switching display. And and even steering wheel controls are you know not great if you're if you're if you are things like volume. You know, if you're mm. going like a wide range, if you have oh, a wide, yeah. it's it's with the with the temperature, you're rarely going from like like a. 50 degrees to 90 degrees, right? Like you're not doing yeah. with volume. You might, you might be like, Oh, I love this song. I want to crank I love it. it. The term crank. It means literally <laughs> grabbing that knob and turning it like a crank. You don't want to have to hit a, a steering wheel control like 50 times. I mean, that's let me, th- let me thumb this. Let yeah, me like, okay, no, let's not. I mean, come on. That's gross. This is a family podcast, but <laughs> it's, I, I think that you know, for, for minute controls or fine tuning, the steering wheel controls are fine. But for, if I want to crank a song, I want to crank a song. Okay, so um, maybe that there should my... be—you know—there's a mute button on the steering wheel. Maybe there should be another button where you set like a preset <laughs> volume, and it's the it's the rock out button, and you hit that so, button. Yeah, and it's like they have this for Max AC, right? Like you see this button yes, that says Max same AC. Thing. It's have... like cruise control for your ears, man. <laughs> All right, let's pitch that to a couple automakers and see what they say. Um, my minor criticism I have with the vehicle is for a hybrid. Um, I didn't get particularly great fuel efficiency. Now, I had the all-wheel drive model, and I got under 40 miles per gallon. In fact, closer to, like, 36-ish miles per gallon. That's not bad for, like, such a large vehicle, though. But the RAV4 Hybrid, the all-wheel drive version of that, gets 40, and gets 40 pretty consistently and pretty easily. Now, which one is better to drive? Yeah, that's a tough go. I actually actually didn't love driving the Sportage. I, I, I think... There were elements when I felt um, like the powertrain was was struggling a little bit. Now this doesn't feature a um, a CVT power um, transmission or a continuously variable transmission. It uses a six-speed automatic, um, and so that means you you do have to hear and uh, sorry you do have to wait and feel the power kind of surge and come in. It's not like other hybrids where you can kind of feel the electric motors kind of filling in the gaps. I didn't like that so much about this car, and I don't know if this is specific Kia tuning, because I don't recall this in the Tucson hybrid that I've driven, um, but that was maybe two years ago, so. It's odd um, though that you're complaining, like, it almost sounds like you're wistful for the idea of a CVT. No, but I also think that in some cases, um, for like low horsepower vehicles like these, a CVT actually works. I mean, it, it gets the, the it gets the engine in the power, tr- in the power band and sends you off. Um, I don't know, like, I think for a mainstream um, operation of the vehicle, you want that. You need that. And then you also get the the advantage of advanced fuel efficiency, which this Sportage doesn't get. Um, my other thought, though, is that I had the all-wheel drive version, as I mentioned. I think the front-wheel drive version might be better. It does get improved fuel efficiency of 43 miles per gallon combined. So that might be the one that I think shoppers might really want to go for. I mean, um, and, but if if you were driving one that was rated at forty and it wasn't getting forty, what are the chances the forty three is going to get forty three? Uh, mine was rated at thirty eight and I didn't get thirty eight. Oh, okay, you're sorry. right. Um, what are the chances that the forty three will get forty three? Uh, the, the front wheel drive will get forty three. I, I I would say that probably better. I mean, it would probably be better than sure. the all wheel drive version. Um, the other thing that I wanted to add is that there is a plug in hybrid version of the Sportage coming. And um, if fuel efficiency is the number one thing you're looking for, that's probably the one to get. But it's like 10000 I think it's over $10,000 more expensive. Yeah, that's a lot. It's crazy to me that um, there's such a, 
a price difference in some of these vehicles. I think but some I guess... of it some of it is Kia wanting to push people towards certain models. Yeah. Like you have it's not necessarily the cost of the technology, but if Kia has vehicles it wants to sell and it can price competitive vehicles in its own showroom in a way that makes them less appealing, then that's something that we have to consider when we're looking at these models. Yeah. And um, I'm not sure that that price difference is totally justified. And I imagine that a lot of people will be using like government incentives to get some extra money off the top or get some rebate. Um, and that that just that doesn't mean that you're getting anything better for your, your money there. So I, I came across impressed with the Sportage as a whole. But also not, I haven't fallen in love with it in, in the case of some other, um, believe it or not, hybrid SUVs. I actually do think the Tucson um, might be better. I need to see if the new, if there's a facelifted version with that changing climate control screen, um, which, which I would prefer to not have that. And I do think the RAV4 hybrid is the best version of the RAV4. If you can get that, it's probably the among the best in its class. So anything else you want to lay down about the sportage sportage sportage, sportage we're not sportage. sure the how design is the design is, is really striking i like it um extra design more than the tucson again the tucson has these like creases in it, it looks pre-crashed i think i've said that before pre-crashed uh, yeah it looks like it's been dented like it really does oh wow have you Don't said you think... have you said the word pre-crashed to anyone from that brand and just to see how they would react no, I haven't. Of course not. Now I am. I'm sure they're listening to the podcast and are never going to get me a, a car now. That's your last Sportage, son. Which is a shame because I like the Ionic styling, right? This is not fair. Like the Ionic, honestly, though, looks like an 8-bit like reinterpretation yeah. of the 80s, which I think is It fun. looks so good. I love it. But um, this design, it takes like the Telluride and the Sorento and kind of combines it into one kind of design. It has these really like arrow, um, like the, the LED... Signatures, the, the DRLs, are these really attractive aero shapes, and I think they look great. Um, it's a sharp-looking vehicle, but uh, and the cabin was also feeling pretty high-end as well. I just couldn't get over that context-sensitive screen. Like, I, I just don't think that's necessary. There's one more thing that we need to talk about this week. It's uh, something that happened to you. Yeah. Uh, not not me. Something that happened to you. I have no... Um, I have no way to relate to whatever you're about to talk so, about. So, Sammy, ask me what I'm going to be talking about next week. What vehicle I'm going to be talking about next week. You've already told me. You've, 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 you've booked something. I think it was a Jeep. It's What is it? What are you talking about next week? Uh, I'm actually not talking about any vehicle next week, Sammy, because my press car was stolen from in front of my house on Monday night. First of all, was it? were you carjacked? Is Are you okay? I was not carjacked. I picked up the car, I want to say, around probably noon. On Monday, I drove it home, and then the last time I saw it uh, was about 8 o'clock that night. Um, my partner, she saw it at 11 o'clock. She heard a noise outside around 11 o'clock that was weird. She went outside and looked, didn't, didn't go outside. She went to the window and looked, and there, it was actually someone across the street, and she looked down, and the, and the gladiator was still there. And that's the last any of us saw it. The next morning, I woke up, and here's here's the thing. I My Cadillac is going away for the winter. This is the last week. And I needed to do some detailing on it and get it ready to be under a car cover. And I had a better battery charger. It's I was going gonna... to the winter spa, really. Yeah, I, I had to put a better battery charger on it. So the night before, I loaded all that stuff into the Jeep, all my detailing stuff and my charger and whatnot. 
And uh, the next morning I wake up and I'm in my office, which looks out over the front of my house. And I want to say I live on a very busy street. Uh, it is well lit. There are all, There's always traffic. And it's not, you know, it's not the kind of place where people can do nefarious things easily. Or so yeah. I thought. I looked out and there's a Honda Civic parked in front of my house. <laughs> and I'm like, Uh-oh. wait a minute. Uh, that's what's going on. So I go out. Did you do a spit take? Like you you spit your coffee all over the place? No, honestly, the first thought I had was it's been stolen. That was the first thought I had because it's a gladiator. And here in Quebec, gladiators are extremely popular among car thieves. I'm going to tell a brief story. Chrysler had a gladiator get stolen, I want to say earlier this year or late last year um, in in a town that's about an hour outside of Montreal. They, they managed to recover the vehicle only because the person who stole it eventually hit a police cruiser with it. And then in the ensuing chase, led them back to his lair where he had all these other stolen car parts in cargo containers. And so it was like Canada's dumbest criminal, basically. And they busted him for all of that stuff. So I knew the Gladiator was a hot commodity. But this this one, um, I, I wasn't, you know, expecting it to get stolen. I went outside. I did a walk around the block to make sure I hadn't accidentally sleep moved it or something. Like woke up in the middle of the night. Anyway, long story short, it's gone. It's stolen. I called the fleet company that manages it. They said, that sucks. Glad you're okay. Uh, we need a police report. Um, Chrysler, well, not Chrysler, Stellantis is going to be giving you a call and we'll work it all out. So I get a call from Stellantis. They're great about it. They're like, you know, did you have anything important in the vehicle? I'm like, well, you know, it's it's a few hundred dollars worth of stuff, but it's not the end of the world. Uh, I had to scramble to go to Canadian Tire, which is a big Canadian big box store, buy all the stuff I needed to finish the the work I needed to do on the Cadillac. That was kind of a hassle, but it, it wasn't anything for me other than an inconvenience. It's not my vehicle. Yeah. I, I don't have a financial stake in it other than the fact that I can't review it now. So there's a review that I can't sell. That kind of sucks. But, you know, it, it's not personal. And I felt bad for Chrysler. And they're like, look, it doesn't matter to us either. It's insured. These things happen. Um, I, I started talking to a few other fleet owners. A, f- a friend of mine who runs a fleet here in Montreal, he has a friend whose his Gladiator was stolen three times in one year. Yes. And it was wow. reco- it was recovered each time with like almost no mileage on it, so it's super weird. I don't know why it was stolen. No one really understands that. In any case, okay. Fast forward to eventually, the police show up to do a police report. I had, I had called them and they're like, "We can't do it on the phone, but you take you have to call nine one one." I'm like, "Really?" And they're like, "Yeah, you call nine one one. We'll send someone to you. Uh, they'll take some information, like they took the na- my name, address, the, the the plate, and all that stuff. It's a good thing I had photos of the car that I'd taken, so I knew the plate, right? Because I don't yeah. know it by heart. I don't have the registration anymore. In any case, they show up about four or five hours later. I have the conversation with the police officer on my front porch, and and this is where I learned a whole bunch of interesting stuff, Sammy, that I think our listeners will probably also be interested in about okay. Montreal car theft. Okay. So hit me. Here we go. Apparently, um. The, the first thing that she told me was that this vehicle should have had a tracker on it the minute it left a garage. Like in the, the gladiators are gone almost all the time. It's a regular uh, theft issue here in Montreal. She also mentioned the MDX from Acura that we were talking about before and the Honda CRV. Those are like the hottest vehicles that get stolen. I I found out that most of the the Jeep fleet has trackers on it. This vehicle did not because it was a new addition. It had not yet been installed. It came from out of province. Um once I mentioned that it didn't have a tracker, the officer told me the chances of getting it back were almost zero 
But she did say that if it did have a tracker, they would probably get it the same day. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And she said that what happens with these thieves is they steal the vehicle, then they drive it to another neighborhood nearby, but not super close. And they leave it on the street for a couple of days to watch it and make sure it doesn't have a tracker. Uh. So that way the heat is off. Then they, they know that no one's coming for it. They'll go take it to HQ or the, the port, which is Montreal's a big port city. So it's just going to get put in a container. That's what I've always been to- taught that they just go to the port. And they yeah. It's going to the Middle ship. East or Northern Africa or somewhere yeah. like that. It's, it's, it's quite a common destination for trucks that are stolen here in Montreal. She then mentioned that um, the way these vehicles are stolen now, she's watched a lot of video. She asked me if I had a video camera. I don't on the front of the house. Yeah. She mentions that uh, the footage that she sees, it's people in masks or hoods. You can't see their identities. They never get an identity. But the way it's done is it's so un- unattractive of attention that it, she said if she was driving by in her cop car, she would not notice it as a theft. So what yeah. happens is someone will walk up to the vehicle after after a drive-by, open the door, get it unlocked, and then walk away. And then someone else or maybe that person a little later will come by get inside and within moments the vehicle is gone and i mentioned to her that i you know i i didn't have one of those boys is it one of those uh, that's what i was thinking but it's not the key it's not the key that was the first question someone asked me whether it was the key boys (laughs) not the key boys um i said well you know i have it has a remote she asked if it was a push button start and i said yeah it has a remote key and all that and i'm like "I'm, i'm gonna get one of those little boxes that blocks the signal and she's like I don't think that that's what happened here. She says that the new thefts that they're seeing, they don't see like an intercept between the key and the vehicle. She says that they're somehow being reprogrammed and that it's done very, very quickly. She said, if we were to recover this vehicle, the key would no longer work. Your key wouldn't work. And I talked to Chrysler, or not Chrysler, Stellantis, and they said when they recovered the previous Gladiator, the entire electronic system had been hacked and they had to replace it. This is something I remember uh, an old-fashioned... Hack. This is from a couple of years ago, though, that people used to be able to hack. You're right. Just like hack. Kind of like that Fast and the Furious movie, a bunch of Stellantis product. So it's uh, it's so but the cop didn't say this is specific to Stellantis. They said that, like, they don't think that it's an intercept theft. They said that they never find broken glass at the scene. She didn't even look. She's like, I'm, I'm not going to go look. There's no point. And we were standing directly in front. It's like, like, like I said, it's directly in front of my home. Um, she says, I'm not going to find glass and I'm not going to find lock picking tools or break-in tools. Like they're extremely professional and, uh, they, they they get in and out very quickly. And I mentioned that the vehicle had only been at my house for maybe 10 or 12 hours maximum. Yeah. And that I hadn't posted on social media that I had this vehicle. Like I hadn't put any pictures up yet. No one knew that it was parked there. Right. And it, she says it's someone driving by. They have a list, you know, targets of opportunity. They see it, they scout it out, and then it's gone. Hmm. So that's a lot of stuff that I learned about uh, what's happening in Montreal for car theft. I thought that a lot of that was pretty interesting. Um, it's it's really frustrating to think that even if you do have video surveillance, it doesn't matter. You're not going to be able to identify anyone. She says, or in her opinion, so many people wear hoods walking around. You know, it's it's it, yeah. it's just a common thing. It's not something that's it's it's not noticeable, uh, and it's frustrating to think that there's very little you can do to block this kind of theft. Even they could have probably taken it with a tow truck too, you know, like if they'd really wanted to. And very few people question tow trucks. I don't think that's what happened in this case, but it's entirely possible. I didn't see it get stolen. Um, but all that to say, 
it's frustrating. Uh, it was a hassle for me. It sucks for Stellantis. You know, like I'm sure they budget in this kind of stuff. They know that their vehicle is popular with thieves. They know they're going to lose one or two every couple of years. And uh, that that's, that's not great. Uh, but I'm okay. Everyone I care about is okay. And Stellantis is okay with it. They're, you know, they've got the police report. They're going to do the insurance and that's just kind of how it goes, I guess. That's wild. It, it, it is crazy to me. I, I was thinking, you know, they want, they need that, that, that police report to get, um, insurance, right? Yes. Um, and I was thinking, you know, this isn't a, a huge inconvenience to you. It might be to somebody whose car does get stolen, even if they do get their insurance money, because there's such a shortage of cars, especially like popular kind of enthusiast vehicles like the Gladiator or the Wrangler. These things, like, you can't get one on the lot the next day, No, it right? would be really like, tough to replace it, I think. You know, if this was if this had been my vehicle. That's a really good point. It's like theft at this at this juncture, theft is more than an inconvenience. It's, it's tough, yeah. Um, and then I'm also thinking, like, a lot of Jeep and, and Stellantis products have pretty distinct um, designs. They have, you know, badges on the side. They have, um, you know, co- uh, covers on the on the spare wheels. Uh, sometimes they come in really unique uh, paint finishes. Does this is this any in any way a deterrent? I wonder, right? So I asked it her. Like it doesn't. Yeah. Well, she said that you know right now or not probably right right now because we're a few we're recording this a few days after it happened. But mm-hmm. she said that the off chance of it being recovered without a tracker is because someone where it's parked now will notice it as not being a car that's commonly in the neighborhood, yeah. and then they'll call it in and be like, "Hey, there's an unusual car parked here." Now, in my mind, that's like a busybody thing to do. Yeah, that, that would be like seem right, like or someone who does, has a lot of time on their hands, but. And nobody's got time anymore. But what you pointed out, though, is interesting because if it was like a wild looking paint scheme, then maybe it would be more noticeable. The one I had had Ontario plates on it, which is a different province that makes it different as well. If it's parked on a street mm-hmm. uh, on my street, people are used to seeing different plates because of the pl- press cars that I bring here all the time. Right. Uh, I don't think I was targeted. I, I, I don't think it was that. Okay. At all. I think it was really a target of opportunity. I don't think someone knew that I would have this gladiator or something like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, if you steal a more distinguishable car, sure. It's might be easy. This was a, it was like a dark red. It didn't really have, it wasn't a Rubicon or anything. And there's so many Jeeps out there. It's, it's like, you know, it's just another Jeep, right? Yeah. I'm sorry that that happened. I hope that didn't make a significant impact in, you know, we, we have to borrow these, these vehicles for work and, uh, we usually have a story lined up to, to write about it. So. I hope that didn't impact you too much. Um, it's, it's like I said, it's an inconvenience, it's a hassle, and I feel bad for Stellantis. You know that they have to go through this as well. Absolutely. Um, anything else you want to talk about this week? No, I think that covers everything. Um, and so we don't know what you're going to talk about next week. We'll, next week's a crapshoot. I'm going to have to pull the car out of the air. I do have some. I do have some things that I do want to talk about. I'm not going to spoil yep. them for now. Uh, some some project advancements that that I want to talk about. Very nice. Um, if you want to make sure you don't miss that as soon as it comes out next week's episode, you'll want to subscribe. The easiest way to do that is probably going through your podcast client, your podcatcher, as you will, um, and search for us. We're the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. I hope you remember that by now. Um, if you don't, Unnamed Automotive Podcast, okay? You'll be able to find it there, um, or you can head on over to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. 
And uh, there's some buttons to help you subscribe there. You can also see all of our previous episodes and photos of the cards that we've been driving, which is very handy, um, and other notes like that. Additionally, if you want to get in touch with us, which is always a handy thing to do, you'll you'll we love hearing from you guys. We're very social people, I think. You can do that by heading over to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There's a contact form there. You fill it out, and it lands. Whatever your note is will land in our inbox. No problems. And most I, of the time. Just want to just want to shout out to. Uh, oh, did you mention the social media, Sammy? No, I haven't mentioned the social media. You want to do that? Sure. If you want to find us on social media, you can do that at. Uh, Sammy underscore ha like you're laughing if you're on Twitter that's a great way to get in touch with Sammy if you're on Instagram you can find me at hunting Benjamin or you can email the old-fashioned way Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. I want to shout out to Adam who reached out to us this week and asked if mm-hmm. we were going to be at SEMA uh, actually it's funny because I I just got an invitation to SEMA today uh, from the show to attend for, for, for a four-day event but I'm really not going to be able to go this year so unfortunately he, he just wanted to meet up hang out and, and uh, say thanks for the show and I, we really appreciate that. Uh, we, we're glad that we're keeping you entertained and that you're enjoying the episodes. Um, wish we could have been there. Uh, he mm. mentioned uh, what's interesting is that this year, uh, Ford and Chevrolet are not going to be there at SEMA. And for those who aren't familiar, SEMA is a big aftermarket ma- manufacturer show that takes place in Vegas every fall. And, and when I say big, I mean probably one of the biggest car shows you'll ever attend in your life. It takes yeah. days to visit everything. Uh, it's, it is very intense. Um, but uh, to not have those major automakers there, Sammy, that that's kind of a big deal. Ford normally takes up the whole outside. They do the Ford out front with the, uh, the, they do a lot of racing stuff out there. They used to do a lot of, um, what's, what's the, uh, global rally cross stuff and drifting. Sometimes yeah. there's drifting out there too. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting that they're not going to be there. It's crazy. Uh, I'm not going to be there either. Mainly because the first time I went, I was, uh, overwhelmed. It was, uh, it was very tiring. We did a lot of stuff. The second time was like, get me out of here. This is this is too much. Yeah, um, it's, it it can be totally overwhelming. It is <laughs> it is the kind of sh- but if like the thing I love the most about SEMA is uh, out front again they have all these um, builds, project car builds that people bring, shops bring, individuals, and there's so much variety, so many creative vehicles that that mm-hmm. are on display. And then you go inside, and you know once you get past the fact that like there's a billion wheels to see and a billion and lug nuts and stuff, yeah, because yeah. again it's a trade show. But uh, there's there's it. a lot of interesting projects inside as well. Amazing um, project. Yeah, the, the wildest cars you'll ever see, but also not just wild stuff, just very cool stuff. Like I remember back when companies like Dynacorn had first started introducing their uh, they're they're a company that reproduces parts for muscle cars and and classic cars and they got to the point where they could build entire 55 chevs and 64 mustangs and uh, i think also broncos the the first generation broncos you can build them using entirely dynacorn body parts and so that was a huge deal like you didn't have to scour junkyards in the southwest looking for something that was rust free anymore and you started to see these yeah. really neat builds that were becoming that were coming up because of the accessibility of these kinds of things and then you had companies like icon that kind of took it to the next extreme but anyway just lots of neat stuff like that and a lot of interesting trends you could spot at a show like sema very cool um if you're at sema just uh give us a note tell us what it was like what you yeah. liked send I, us a photo of, of your favorite car or something there and uh we'll talk about it why not all right thanks for listening everybody See ya.